This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And as elders, we're committed to see and to hope to see that as a group here, our common interest, our common topic of conversation is the Lord Jesus Christ, just like Boaz and his group had a common interest in Jehovah Jesus. And our common interest here at Mission Valley Community Chapel is the Lord Jesus Christ, just as we see Boaz in verse four taking the lead and by maintaining the common interest in Jehovah Jesus by being the first one to speak to the reapers and saying, the Lord be with you. So as elders, we seek to assure that our common interest and focus stays on the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as the reapers then responded back in verse four, the Lord be with you, that showed that Boaz, he could not dictate unity and harmony. He could not dictate that. He could not do that alone because unity and harmony in Boaz's group could not be determined by Boaz alone. That was determined, it couldn't be determined by Boaz alone. Unity and harmony in Boaz's group was determined by each person's commitment to the common interest of Jehovah Jesus. And so we see that the strength of each person's commitment to Jehovah Jesus, we see that strength in their response in verse four when they said, the Lord bless thee. And so as with Boaz, we as elders here, we can't dictate unity and harmony at Mission Valley Chapel. We can only take the lead and guide in the fellowship that our common interest should be the Lord Jesus Christ. But just as with Boaz's group, unity and harmony at the chapel here is determined by each person's commitment to the common interest of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the principle of a group being defined by their common interest is important to God. And we can see this importance that the Lord Jesus, in what the Lord Jesus said to the church of Ephesus in Revelations 2, 1 through 4. And, and think about this, about these two principles here. Think about this principle that a group is defined by their common interests. He said in Revelation 2, 1, unto the, church of the, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, 
And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and has been born, has born and been patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. I mean, let's look at this passage here with the first principle in mind that a group is defined by their common interest and see what the Lord has to say about the common interest in the church of Ephesus. He says in verse two, I know how thou canst not bear them which are evil. That means that the common interest of the church of Ephesus was to be intolerant of evil. And that was what defined the church of Ephesus. And that was a common topic of conversation, how they cannot tolerate those who are evil. Seems to be nothing wrong with that. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with not allowing evildoers in the church. And verse 2 goes on to say, I know thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. That means that the common interest of the church of Ephesus was to use discernment and to identify false teachers and, and found them to be liars. And that's what defined the church of Ephesus. And that was the common topic of conversation, how they can't tolerate those who are false teachers and are liars. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with using discernment to identify false teachers and liars. See, verse two and three, I know thou hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. That means the common interest of the church of Ephesus was to patiently and diligently work for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what defined the church of Ephesus. Then that was the common topic of conversation. They constantly talk about all the work they were doing for the Lord for the Lord Jesus, and, and maybe they were building homes for believers, I don't know, or looking after the needs of believers, and, and they were talking about it, and their conversation centered around the work they were all doing. There's nothing wrong with that. Seems to be nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with working for the Lord. See, all those things, not allowing evildoers in the church, finding out who are false teachers and evil, um, <clears throat> patiently and diligently working for the Lord Jesus, those were all the common interests of the, that defined the church of Ephesus. Instead of being called the church of Ephesus, they might as well have been called the church of no evildoers or the church of no false teachers or liars or the church of workers for the Lord Jesus. But when the Lord Jesus looked at all of those common interests, he looked at all those titles, he said in verse 4, I have somewhat against thee. You say, against how can you be against no evildoers? You're against no false teachers or liars. You're against working for the Lord. He said, yes. Because when the Lord looked down and looked at the common interests, he said, I have somewhat against thee. And the Lord looked at what defined them. And he said, I have somewhat against thee. Because the Lord wanted the church of Ephesus to be named the church of first love. That's what he wanted. He wanted them to be the church of first love. Because the Lord wanted the church of Ephesus to have the one common interest that everyone had that common interest of a fervent love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Lord wanted everyone to look at the church of Ephesus and say, look at those Christians over there at that church of Ephesus. They're all in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. They've all fallen in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. They're acting like they're in, they just fell in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all, he, that's all they talk about is the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't talk to anybody at that church of Ephesus without him talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, if you want to know about the Lord Jesus Christ, you go to that church. That's all they talk about. Their common interest is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how it should be. 
That's how it should be. Every Christian should have one common interest, one common overriding primary interest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every Christian should have the common interest in the Lord Jesus Christ. He should be the main topic of conversation. And if a person who may be attending a Baptist church, a Presbyterian church, a Seventh-day Adventist church, a Pentecostal church, a Catholic church, if that person has as his primary interest the Lord Jesus Christ, then he's united in the group called the Church of the First Love. And all those denominational differences, they become not important. And the strength of his interest in the Lord Jesus Christ determines the strength of the unity and the harmony with other believers who share the common interest in the Lord Jesus Christ. So as elders, we're seeking to guide this group to be a fellowship of the first love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Boaz was successful in guiding his group to be a fellowship of the first love of Jehovah Jesus. And God looks down on Boaz's group, and he said, now there's a church of the first love for Jehovah Jesus, right there. And we want God to look down on Mission Valley Community Chapel and say, now there's a church of the first love of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God cares about. And God doesn't look down from heaven and say, well, let's see now, how many we got in church today? You know, one of you angels done the pew count yet? I need to know. <laughs> it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, how come you don't have 450 today? How come you don't have 2,000 or 10,000 people in those pews? When I look down from heaven, I want to see numbers. You know, lots of numbers. That's all I care about. That's not God. God looks down from heaven, and he has one question. What's your first love? What's the common interest? Am I, God says, am I your first love? Am I your common interest? How strong is each person's interest in their common interest of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, we can ask a question. Let's say that a church has been broken up with division. Let's say that, a church, that there's a church that was once united, that was once harmonious, a wonderful church. Let's say that church was here in San Diego. Let's say that this united church became divided with people at bitter odds with each other, alienated over each other over something like the question of whether the Lord Jesus Christ realized he was God or not. And let's say that that question became so divisive that it split the church right down the middle into a civil war, brother against brother in that church. And let's say that that church sat down and looked over their field of spiritual Gettysburg and saw all the casualties as a result of that war of whether or not the Lord Jesus realized he was God or not. And as they looked over all the destruction, and that church wept over the loss of their precious fellowship that had been united for so long in the past, and they saw the division, they saw the destruction, and let's say that church didn't know how to find their way back. They didn't know how to find their way back to that wonderful, united, harmonious church they once were. Let's say that that church even called Pastor Jim to go to them and try to heal the wounds and restore the church that it had been. What's the way back? What's the way back to restore restoration after division? What's the way back to build the unity and the harmony that that precious church lost? See, the Lord Jesus Christ explained what the way back is in that next verse in Revelation 2. After telling them that they had left their first love, in verse 4, then he explains to them in verse 5, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent 
and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. See, the Lord Jesus Christ gave the simple explanation the way back, two words, remember and repent. Remember your common interest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember your common interest, the Lord Jesus Christ, as your first love. Apologize to God for each of you abandoning your common first love and give it up, the rivalry, and abandon the hatred and give up the resentment and the feelings of being hurt and the passions to, well, first I gotta set the record straight. You know, to, to, to give it all up for Jesus' sake. And today, so what we've seen now in Boaz is three wonderful attributes. First, Boaz looked beyond his own interests and concern to the interests and concern of others. Second, Boaz showed personal humility as he focused on the needs of others. And third, Boaz brought about harmony by leading his group, including Ruth, to their common interest in Jehovah Jesus. Now, what we've seen in Boaz, it's wonderful, but our common interest, but our common interest is not Boaz. Our common interest is the Lord Jesus Christ. So now let's turn, as if getting, getting close to close, I promise you we're getting close to close, so you don't have to start eating your lunch yet. But <clears throat> let's turn our, our, our attention now to our common interest, the Lord Jesus Christ, and see him with these attributes that we've been talking about that Boaz reflected. The passage, of course, that describes these attributes in, in, in our common interest, and you might want to turn, is this, this passage, Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 1 through 8, where it, where it says there about our common interest. Isn't it wonderful to call the Lord Jesus Christ our common interest? It says, If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy fulfill you my joy, that ye, may, that ye be like-minded, having the same mind, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Keep that verse as the key verse. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now let that verse flow forward. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. See, in this very first verse, we are told the importance of this particular frame of mind. It's all about fellowship of the Spirit. We're told that to have or not have this frame of mind determines whether or not we will have any fellowship with the Spirit. It's important to have fellowship with the Spirit of Christ because fellowship with the Spirit of Christ is our life link. And that's our, and that's our fellowship we can't afford to lose. And we cannot afford to lose fellowship with God when whether or not, we, and, and it all hinges on whether or not we adopt this frame of mind. It determines whether or not we're going to have fellowship with God. So it's vitally important for us. It's not an option for us to say, no, that's, for, that's not for me, that's for somebody else. We must adopt this frame of mind. And this frame of mind in verse 2 is called like-mindedness, having the same love, being of one accord, one mind. 
What's, what's, he, what's he describing here? Harmony and unity. As we've just seen, harmony and unity from having a common interest in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we come to verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man, don't miss that word, also on the things of others. That means that we're not just to be concerned about our own interests, but also to be concerned about the interest of others. That means Boaz was not just concerned about his own interest, but also, there was a big also all the time in Boaz's life on the interests and concerns of, of others, the group and Ruth. That means the Lord Jesus Christ concerned himself, was concerned about his own interest, but he also was concerned about our interests. That means that we are concerned about our interest, but we are also concerned about the interests of others. In practical terms, that means that when we go to the grocery store, and, and I love going to the grocery store. I don't know if you like going to the grocery store. I like the grocery store. And you find some wonderful peaches that are in season right now, and you figure out how many you can eat before they go bad, and you put that in your cart, and then you think of somebody else who would like those peaches, and you buy some for them. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, growing through grocery stores is like going for a treasure hunt. <laughs> oh, I wonder what I'm going to find today. I wonder what they put out today. I wonder what's, what, what's, what's good. So you do the one for me and one for I'll figure it out later routine. We go shopping. We should, we should, we, we should see ourselves as being sent out by God to the store. Go get something for somebody else. And then we have the joy of going to another person and say, look, I found these. These are great. I got these for you. That's nice. It's a practical way to fulfill the verse four. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And notice how in verse five, it's described as a frame of mind. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. See, this is the frame of mind that was and is and will be in the Lord Jesus Christ our common interest. And the next verse are like we're being told, and just look what he did. You see verse four, is like, here's the principle. Now let me show you how it manifested itself. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Those words mean he was equal to God, but he was, he, because he was God the Son, along with God the Father and God the Spirit. But when it says he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, the key to understanding that that saying there is to know that in the Greek, the word robbery means plunder or a piece of plunder or a prize from warfare or a treasure that's been gained in war. It has the meaning of behind it of snatch or clutch or grasp or cling to. And so what this verse is saying is that the Lord Jesus Christ did not view his equality with God as a prize to be seized. He did not insist on keeping the prize of his equality with God as a piece of plunder that he had to clutch onto greedily. Won't you take that away from me? He was not adamant to keep the prize of his equality with God as a treasure that shouldn't slip away from his grasp. He didn't view his equality with God as a self-enrichment. See, he didn't see his equality with God as something for him that when it was suggested that he would become a man, that he had to snatch it back and say, oh no, I, I, I snatched that back and I clutch it, I won't let it go. That's what this verse is saying. Because of that frame of mind, we read in verse seven, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. When it says he made himself of no reputation, 
there, there, there is in these words the concept of emptying himself, the concept of divesting himself. It's the concept of taking on him, taking on him the form of a servant, taking on him the likeness of men. See, what these verses are telling us is that because he had that frame of mind of looking out, looking beyond himself, and looking out to the needs and interests and concerns of others, he was able to look beyond. He was willing to not cling to his equality with God. He was willing to empty himself of the honor and the powers of being equal with God. He was willing to divest himself and empty himself down to the level of a man, and then further down to the level of a servant. He not only looked on his own things and the glory that he had as part of the Godhead, but he was willing to descend down, descend down to the first level of becoming a man. And then he was willing to descend down to the next level of becoming a servant. And then he was willing to descend down to the next level of dying a mortal death. And then he was willing to descend down to the next level the lower level of dying the torturous death of a criminal in crucifixion. As it says in verse 8, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. His heart was not set on keeping his own glory in heaven. His heart was not set to never appear at any time without his glory of God the Son in heaven. His heart was set on tying his own self-sacrifice, tying his own self-abasement and death to our redemption. That was the set of his heart. And because the set of his heart was like this, it was indescribable generosity. It was indescribable generosity. As he looked on the things of others, he was willing to see his own glory just eclipse away. As he appeared, not when he appeared, he didn't appear as the God of glory, but he was clothed in mortal flesh. He didn't appear with royal robes of divinity, but he's dressed like a carpenter's son. He didn't appear as God with flaming fire, but as a man with tears. He didn't appear in, in a royal palace, but in a manger. See, that's what it means when it says he made himself of no reputation. It means he emptied himself. He stripped himself from his form as God. And as we see him becoming obedient to death of the cross, as opposed to a natural death, as opposed to a common death, as, a, as opposed to death by cancer, he became obedient to death of crucifixion as the punishment of the basest criminals and the outcasts of Israel. I mean, he was willing to humble himself to suffer as a mortal man. That's what it means when it says in 2 Corinthians 8 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. That's our Savior. That's our Savior. He's our common interest. He's the one we worship because he had and has and will have that frame of mind to look beyond himself on our needs, and that translated to him willing to empty himself, descend from the highest place of God in the heaven to the lowest place of death on a cross as a criminal. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your son, and we can say this morning along with you, you're well-pleased, 
we're well pleased. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.